It's good to be with you this morning. It's always a a treat to be here. I apologize that we didn't have uh, an outline this morning for you. I was uh, a little bit under the weather this week, as were some others in my household, and uh, that got coupled with a very busy week with several deadlines in our ministry, and uh, so the outline that occurred didn't occur uh, prior to the printing. So uh, we'll work at uh, an outline for next next time. I, uh, Lord willing, will be with you for the next four weeks, and I had been giving some thought to what we might want to look at over these next uh, uh, four Sundays together and uh, what the Lord would have for us. I really want to talk about something that uh, many of you already brought up in the uh, prayer time, the sharing time, is uh, uh, some of the things brought forward. I was thinking about what we take in in an average week, uh, whether that's what we read in the newspaper or newscasts that we would watch on, on television or all sorts of media through the internet and so on and so forth. And uh, sometimes I wonder if you would do everything that you were told to do, if you would respond the way people, you should be doing this or we should be doing more of that. Uh, what exactly would that produce? What, what, what exactly does our culture offer us? What, where is it pushing us towards? And, and I think had I brought the Dallas Morning News in this morning and we would take the time to work our way through every article and every section of it, I, I don't know that the Dallas Morning News or, or news in general offers us th- that purpose, that direction. And so I was thinking about the difference between what we encounter, all the various forms of media that we encounter, and when we read God's word, what are we getting that's different? One of the first differences that's sort of striking is that the Bible is very, very old, and what we tend to value is uh, today's news. We don't spend any time watching news from Thursday. I mean, Thursday so far in the past because we've already had a Friday, a Saturday, and now Sunday, and, and so on and so forth. And so the, 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 the sense of the culture is that it's what's right now that's important. It's, it's, that's why there's a new newspaper every day, uh, new newscasts every day. And yet the Bible is very, very different from that. And, and so I wanted to think a little bit about what is it that God gives us when he gives us his word. And, and the answer is, it's lots of things. There is a lot of breadth and scope to God's word. But I wanted to look specifically at, at this idea of purpose. What, what is God's purpose uh, in, in what he's doing in his word? Or what is even our purpose in the world? What what. We don't get a lot of purpose from the news. We don't get a lot of uh, uh, hope from uh, those things which are happening in our culture. And, and yet God, in his ancient word, has a timeless message for us about his sovereign care for us. And I think the better we understand what God's purposes are, the less we have to worry about the purposes of the world. I think the better we understand God's plan... I think the better we can struggle through the various trials we all find ourselves in, trials in our own families and amongst friends here at Marathon, uh, challenges that various people are facing that we're praying for. Uh, and, And so understanding God's purposes and understanding God's plan, understanding what God is doing, seems to be something that would be <clears throat> I, I'm hoping, uh, if, nothing, if nothing else, a good reminder for us. 
a reminder of how God's sovereignty sovereignly holds not only the big things of the world, but each of our each of our own lives, and that there is a purpose that He is bringing to bear in all of that. Well, I thought that was a good idea. I just didn't have a passage. And I thought, well, we'll have to uh, think about this for a little while. What I'd like to do over the next uh, four Sundays, and and I want to warn you about this, uh, is that rather than take sort of one major passage and and spend a lot of time there, I want to string several passages together, which means that if you're following along in your Bible, we're going to be flipping the pages a lot as as we work our way across Scripture. My goal is to spend sort of uh, this Sunday and next Sunday in the Old Testament, uh, then the following two Sundays in the New Testament, to to see a theme that runs through Scripture. And so I just don't want you to be frustrated because by the time you find one passage, I might already be on the next one. Um, The purpose isn't to, 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 to ignore or belittle any of the passages, but to see the relationship between them, to see how God is weaving his plan uh, through the events in this case, or this morning in some of the events of the Old Testament, but ultimately by the time we're done over the next four weeks, uh, how God is weaving and, and, and controlling the story, uh, revealing his plan uh, that will include our own lives. And so my hope is that that's what we will be able to to accomplish in in getting a sense not of what the world is offering, because you can go watch your favorite newscast if you want that, but what God is doing. So I struggled between, uh, are we calling this, uh, you know, God's plan or what God is doing? And and, uh, I never did come up with a great title, so this is what's God's plan or what God is doing. Maybe by the time we're done, we'll have that uh, ironed out a little bit. But uh, I want us to, if you have your Bibles this morning, we'll begin at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Some of you know that I get really excited about Genesis chapter 1. It seems to be a great place to start always, and uh, today will be no exception. Um, I, I just really don't even want the whole first verse. I just want the first four words uh, as, a, as a place for us to start to begin to think about what God is doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and partly what I hope is that we can understand the uniqueness of God's word in what he is doing. Genesis 1.1, undoubtedly familiar words, in the beginning, God. Of course, the whole verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we keep reading, we would get details about how that creation went and the days of creation. But but I want to begin by thinking about just those first four words. In the beginning, God. God is making a a presentation about what he is doing. And generally, this is how we would mark time. Time begins here in Genesis 1 with God creating all things. But notice that God already exists. That, that from the very beginning, there's God before there's any other type of creation. In other words, even from the very beginning, God is going to reveal his word with him outside it. In the beginning, God already exists, even though nothing else exists yet. And so he begins to tell, he begins to tell the story of creation. 
I, I brought a little object here because I want you to think about the differences between the Bible, this ancient book that God has revealed himself in, and, and another piece of literature, uh, just so that we can understand a little bit about what God is doing, and that'll help us understand a little more of his plan or his purposes. So I brought this morning um, the Oxford Shakespeare, the complete works. This is everything Shakespeare ever wrote. Okay, this is all his sonnets all his tragedies, all his plays, they're all in here. Some would argue that Shakespeare was the greatest English writer ever to live. I think some people, having not read any other language, might argue that he is the greatest writer ever to live and that this contains the greatest works. And so I want us to think a little bit about great literature, and that's really all I'm trying to make this represent. Great literature, this happens to be Shakespeare and, and, and God's word. Okay, so I just want us to, to see a little bit of the difference. So this is great literature, and you would be surprised how many references in pop culture still come from the works of Shakespeare. There's all sorts of little sayings that Shakespeare wrote that have stayed and, and found its way into our English language that's become very common, very popular. Uh, of course, the same could be said about the Bible. There's many little tidbits of scripture that still find their way into conversations. Many people don't know where some of these pithy sayings come from, but, but they're from the Bible. But, but if you said, well, where does everything come from? Well, this isn't going to be of much help. That's not what Shakespeare's doing. He's not trying to, to say where everything's coming from. If you said, well, where's everything going? What's the purpose in life? Again, there might be some interesting plays here that, that would, uh, you would have characters wondering those types of questions, but this doesn't really provide you any, any answers. If you said, well, what's going to happen when everything comes to an end? I mean, when this whole thing, it just doesn't look like our world is in a great situation. What's going to happen? Again, Shakespeare, as great as his literary ability is, is going to, he's going to fall short. He isn't able to say where we come from, what purpose is, where are we going. He just writes good tragedies, Romeo and Juliet, good plays, uh, uh, sonnets, excellent sonnets about uh, love and, and, and some of the human uh, tragedy and emotions that uh, Shakespeare addresses. Uh, and, and so that's Shakespeare, but, but God is doing something different. And so from Genesis 1, even from the verse, very first four verses, God is beginning to show that, first of all, there is a beginning. And even without reading through the whole Bible, there's already an implication, which is going to be that there is an end. And as it turns out, if we would read all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, we would see that there is an end, and at the very end, again, God remains. And so God is going to give us, in his words, something that's very different from other literature, other books. Very few books, in fact, try to address everything. And that's the uniqueness of God's word. It is addressing everything. And what do I mean by everything? I mean uh, our purpose, where we come from, and, and where we're going, and why we're here, and ultimately what does it all mean? Meaning and hope and philosophical thought all originates in God's word. And so I'm hoping that over these next four Sundays, as we look through God's word, that we can begin to see this purpose. And as we understand more of what God is doing, I hope we can make sense more of what's going on in the world around us. 
And as we understand better what God's plan is, what God's purposes are, I I hope that helps us understand what our purposes are. Because the unique thing about the Bible is we fit into this story. We're in this book. We're not at the end yet. The Bible's already recorded the end when Christ will return and he will make all things new, but he hasn't returned yet, which means we're still part of the story. We're not in this story. This man's long dead and gone, and these uh, wonderful pieces of literature lie dormant. You can read them if you like, and you can ignore them if you like. And so the Bible plays this very, very unique role. And so I hope this is a time uh, where we can be reminded of what God is doing, that we can be encouraged, and that we can be reminded of what we are to be doing in light of God's purposes. And so we see in the beginning God creates the heaven and the earth. And so he is the one who is authoring, if you will, time. All things begin at his command with his creation. And as it turns out, if we keep reading, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And we begin to see that his means of creation is merely to speak the word. He he, he says and it is. He speaks and it happens. And, and so we see, we see the Bible begin with a very, and I don't know if this is even the right way to say it, a very dominant performance by God. Does that make sense? That, 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 that he's literally calling things into existence, and, and there's never, there's no whoops, whoops, I, I should have done this before that, or, or, or no, I shouldn't have made that at all, that was a bad, we, we don't have any of that, we, we have God coming and, and creating all things, and so that's going to begin to be a framework to understand this idea of God's plan or God's purposes. I'm assuming, and obviously I'm sure you understand, if we want to work our way through the Old Testament and the New, we will have to skip a few verses here and there. And so I'm going to trust that you understand uh, the details of the creation as we could work through uh, through Genesis 1. Uh, I'd like to skip down to verse 26 and 27. Uh, again, common verses that I just want to think about for a moment. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all of, over all the wild animals <clears throat> and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, very common verses, but I want us to think because this is where we start off in the story with the creation. Obviously, it's not you and I, it's Adam and Eve in this case, but ultimately we become descendants of of those very people. And and so we have a God who exists before time uh, that he begins the story and and he begins to create. And as I said, we kind of skipped over the details of the creation of creating the animals and the fish and the birds of of making dry land and separating the seas and and all the details of, of Genesis 1 of those uh, first days of creation. Uh, we skipped over that, but, but all of that to say we picked up the story and then he did something unique. He created mankind in his own image. Part of where we're going to go with this is to begin to understand the importance of bearing God's image. Uh, it's something that we need to think about 
all the time that the way we act, the way we treat people, uh, the way we interact with others, we always act as representatives of God. In fact, all people represent God. All people bear his image. And there's lots of implications for that. But one of the implications of bearing God's image is going to force us to ask the question, do we bear God's image well? If we're honest about the world around us, there are many people made in the image of God who do not know God, who do not know that they bear his image, who are not concerned about representing him well. But what we're going to see from very early on in Genesis is God is going to, is going to help us to understand the importance of image bearers being obedient to God and to bear his name. And, and that's going to begin to give us a sense of purpose as to what God is doing. Again, you're not going to find this in the Dallas Morning News or on, on Fox News or on some internet site, uh, it, but, but it is going to help us to understand here God's plan and God's purpose. And, and it puts some of the, could I call it, chaos of our day into perspective as to what God is trying to uh, accomplish in all of this. We carry on verse 28. So God blessed them, that's male and female, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of, uh, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so not only does God create this unique part of creation in his own image, nothing else is created in his image. All the things that we skipped over, but the, the birds and, and, and the animals or the mountains and dry land, all of those things, they're not created in his image. But uniquely, male and female represent God. And so here's the, here's the plan, here's the command. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. And then he gives a little bit of detail. Rule over the fish of the sea, rule over the birds in the sky, rule over every living creature that moves around uh, uh, along the ground. And so I want you to just kind of think about this for a moment, this, this early part of, of Genesis as the story is being set, uh, this role that we are to play. So image bearers are uniquely created to bear the image of the creator. And then they get, are given this command, which is fill creation with the image of God. Right? Isn't that what it's essentially saying? Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. So for Adam and Eve to be fruitful, we understand that. That means to have children, to have offspring, to have more image bearers. And what's the goal of having more image bearers? To fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to rule, and then some details, the fish, the, the birds, and every living creature that moves along the ground. And so God has a plan that his image is to be global. If you want to use today's business language, God is building a, a global brand. And his brand is image bearers that cover the entire surface of the globe. That's the goal. Already, if that is the goal, we can start to see some of the challenges that we have and some of the problems of today. And I think once we start to see some of the details of the text, we'll begin to see some of the challenges that we have. Well, the story takes a major 
turn when we get to Genesis chapter 3. His image bearers, Adam and Eve, are about to defy their creator. And so make your way, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. Again, you'll remember that uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They've been forbidden from eating from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the center. Plenty of trees in the garden, lots to eat from. They have no shortage of anything, but they are forbidden to eat from the one tree. You remember that the serpent comes as a tempter and tempts Eve, and ultimately Eve will give in to the temptation. We'll share the fruit with Adam, and Adam will give in to the temptation as well. And we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. Excuse me. Um, Just before we go there, I realize there's one more passage we should have grabbed from chapter 2. Let's go back. I just want to look quickly at at the formation of of Adam and Eve in chapter 2. My apologies. I I just skipped over it in my notes. This is where if you had an outline, you would have caught me. Back to chapter 2. We get details in Genesis chapter 2 on how uh, God forms man. And so we pick it up in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And so we want to kind of keep this into perspective. So God, in Genesis 1, we get details that God is going to, or God is creating man and woman in his image. They are his image bearers. In chapter 2, we get a little more detail. So how is man created? Well, he doesn't use image-bearing material. Actually, he just begins with dirt. And so he takes the dirt, right, and then he, right, he, he breathes life into the dirt, and now that which used to be dirt, right, the Lord formed uh, a man from the dust of the ground, from the dust, the dirt uh, of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so he's literally made his creation, dirt, into his image. He's made it alive. And, and so we see that this, this idea of God has literally breathed life into something that doesn't live. Dirt is not a living object, but he's breathed life into it, and now this dirt has become man. You remember the details of Eve's creation. Adam is put to sleep. Uh, God removes a rib from Adam. Of course, that rib was once dirt that has then received the breath of God. He then takes this this rib, which would be inanimate, not not breathing, and fashions it into the woman and breathes life into her and then presents her back to him. So so you still have this this origination of, of sort of dirt and then the breath of God, which has brought life. My apologies, Genesis 3. We pick it up in verse 8. The man and his wife, they've just committed the sin. They've disobeyed God's, God's uh, one forbidden uh, um, uh, rule that he made, which is you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, let's make sure we understand the picture here. We've got creator. We've got image bearers, and the image bearers are hiding from the one whose image they bear behind creation. In this case, it looks like uh, trees, right? Is that, is that what they're hiding behind? Ever say in the garden, the cool, they, they hid from the Lord among the trees. 
Okay, so they're trying to stick creation between the creator and the image bearers, so that they don't they don't get to he he doesn't get to see them. And the man, <clears throat> sorry, uh, but the Lord God called to the man, "Where are you?" Or 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 maybe we wouldn't even have to phrase this as a question. You could also render this something like this: um, Think about where you are, Adam. Consider where you are. You, you have a fracture between the image bearers and the one whose image that they bear. They violated him. They violated uh, what God had uh, uh, called them to do. And so God, if we would take time and go through the details of Genesis 3, you probably uh, remember it or you can briefly look at it as we're talking, Uh, God punishes the three parties involved, the serpent, the one who tempted Eve, who ultimately then gave the fruit to Adam, and Adam then as a result uh, uh, is a victim of the temptation as well. So the serpent, and then Eve, and then Adam all receive punishment, all receive uh, burdens that they will then have to bear through the rest of their lives, and yet, in a sense, all receive grace. That, that, that while there is punishment for the sin, well, for Adam and Eve, there is banishment from the garden. There, there is the promise of death. And, and, and sometimes we wonder, well, did Adam and Eve die? God said that if you eat from the fruit, you will die. And of course, it's a little complicated answer. You could argue, yes, they died in the sense that the relationship, the wonderful relationship they had with their creator uh, is broken and that no longer works. And so that, that relationship is dead. Uh, or you could argue that they, uh, once they ate from the fruit, the, the, the death clock began to, take, to, to tick because ultimately, as they lived their lives, they were going to come to death now, and until they had eaten from the fruit, had they not eaten from it, they wouldn't have uh, been on this path towards death. But nonetheless, God, in his graciousness, while he bans them from the garden, he, he gives them the, the, the ability to live life beyond the garden. Well, it will be much more difficult. You'll have to work the ground and so on, and childbirth will be extremely painful, and, 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 and all the details that come to bear, he does allow them to go. He does allow them to carry on. And as a matter of fact, he continues to remind them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so now you have a creator and you have, can I call it a, a, a broken creation, a, a fractured creation? Can, it, can I call us imperfect image bearers? Image bearers who, who, who don't bear God's image well in light, of, <clears throat> excuse me, in light of their sinfulness, in light of Adam and Eve's sinfulness, in light of our sinfulness. And yet God continues to want them to go and to, to spread. Well, if we made our way through Genesis, we'd come to uh, often what's considered a children's story. Almost every children's Bible has the next major story because it involves all the animals. So it's a very happy story in, in the children's version. The sad thing is, is that by Genesis chapter 6, there has been an incredible spread in image bearers. They, they have begun to spread, and they've spread out in, unfortunately, their sinfulness. And so God is planning to wipe them all out and start over, right? Great idea. There's just so much sin. There's so much evil on the earth. No one follows me. No one bears my image well. I'm going to wipe them all out. 
but he finds one man, and if you will, one family, who bears his image well. And so he takes that family, the family of Noah, allows them to build a, a boat to hold two of each kind of the animal. If you walk through the timing, about 120 years, again, 120 years for people to repent of their sin and return to the creator whose image they bear. And, and yet, of course, people don't. And so the flood comes. Everything is wiped out other than Noah and his, fa- <clears throat> excuse me, and his family. We want to pick up in Genesis chapter 9 what God says after the flood. Genesis chapter 9. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Genesis 9, 18. Excuse me, I apologize. My voice is still recovering from it. It's just allergies that I've been battling, but um, nonetheless, they're very real. Genesis 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah came out from the ark. Who came out from the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That would be the father of ultimately the Canaanites. These were the three sons of Noah. And from them came people who were scattered over the whole earth. Just a little phrase that I just wanted to remind us so that all the people who are going to be scattered are going to be from these three sons of Noah. From them, again, the tail end of verse 19, these were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. This is what God wanted. He had wanted image bearers to be scattered over the whole earth. That was the idea. Uh, And so that idea is being reminded there. Well, um, what we get in chapter 10 of Genesis is a list of people. We get a list of all these different nations that come. And so we don't really know how much time has passed for this to happen, but time is passing and and people are are being fruitful and multiplying and, and, well, I don't know if they're filling the earth. They're being fruitful and they are multiplying because we have a whole bunch of nations here. Uh, Take a look at Genesis 10.32. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent. That's just a summary of chapter 10 uh, within their nations. From these nations spread out over the earth, uh, 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 out over the earth after the flood. And and so it's, here's how all these nations came to be, and they all originate from the three sons of Noah that have now spread out over the earth. Well, then begins Genesis 11. Genesis 11. We may as well read it. It's probably the easiest way to understand it. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And let's use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Hmm. Doesn't that seem to be kind of the opposite of what we just got from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that God was the creator, that we were image bearers, we were made in his image, we were uh, made to, if you will, bear his name, and now what we have is people that rather than scattering, let's all live together, one city, one tower, so that, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, that's precisely what God had asked. 
And so we're going to be introduced to a struggle here that we're going to see all the way through the Old Testament, we're going to see all the way through the New Testament, and that we're going to see every day on the news. Our will versus God's will. That, that we tend to want to do the precise opposite of what God wants. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the people are like, let's build a tower. We can make a name for ourselves so that we won't be scattered over all the earth. So now we have a showdown between creator and image bearer. Or, or, or maybe better said, creator and broken image bearer, right? They, they have a sinful nature that shows that, that is unknown to the creator. The creator has no sinful nature. So we have these image bearers, these people with this broken, uh, this broken, uh, this marred image of God. Verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered from them, uh, I'm sorry, for the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. So what happened? The Lord won. He introduced multiple languages so that you weren't easily able to communicate with each other. And so undoubtedly, when they scattered, they scattered in language groups. You had this group who, who ended up speaking this language here. And my understanding would be the languages wouldn't even have names at this point. I mean, people wouldn't know what language they were speaking. All they knew is it was no longer the language that that group was speaking or that group. And so now we have groups of languages, and just that fact alone is beginning to accomplish God's purposes. And so we have in the first 11 chapters of Genesis the beginning of this idea that God has a plan. He is the creator of all things, that from the very beginning he has existed, and he's begun to create his plan with this beautiful world that he has created in six days. He rested on the seventh day. Unique in this created world are his image bearers. Interestingly enough, even in image bearing, he has sort of... Well, he has male and female. There's some differences. They're both made in his image, but there's some uniquenesses in that. Now we've introduced, uh, through uh, uh, Noah and his three sons, all these various nations. Then we introduce various languages. We have a whole bunch of diversity. Languages, nations, male and female, spread over the whole earth, bearing his image. And so within that diversity, Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your people and from your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great that you will be a blessing. That sounds just like Babel, doesn't it? Doesn't the promise of God to Abram sound precisely what the people were trying to create for themselves in Babel? I will make you into a great nation. Come, let's go over here to the plains of Shinar and build our city. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. Why are they building the, the Tower of Babel? To make their name great. So God is offering that. And, uh, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse um, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
And again, God releases this global initiative. All the peoples of the earth, different translation, all the nations of the earth. Another translation, all the families of the earth. However you look at how people are divided, whether you want to go nations or families or peoples, whether you want to talk about language, when you talk about male or female, amongst all the diversity that has just come out of the first 12 chapters of Genesis, um, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God has a single unifying plan. When we look at the challenges that we face today as a nation, when we look at the challenges that we face in our local cities, uh, look at the challenges in our schools, look at economic challenges, you can essentially tie all our challenges back to the challenges of unity and diversity. The challenge of we're not like them, we want this and they get that or we have this amount of money they only have that amount of money we have differences financially and differences socially we have we have challenges between man and woman and and today our culture is trying to confuse those that men can be women that women can be men the way we we deal with the diversity that god created is we blur it We don't exalt in the uniquenesses of a woman or the uniquenesses of a man. We blur it. We try and get rid of the problem that way. We claim everyone is unified unless you have a view that's different from whoever is making the claim and then you need to be put out because you're not. And so we have challenges always between unity and diversity. Honestly, it's the same thing we have in churches. Right? And our churches struggle with the idea of, of, of various peoples and cultures and languages coming together. It creates all sorts of challenges. And so God looks like he delights in the diversity. Look at this room. Literally, just come look, look at all the people in this room. A whole room of diversity. Different personalities, different looks and shapes and so on. Uh, different ages are in this room. Uh, different backgrounds are in this room. Uh, some of you, uh, English is your first language. Some of you, English might be your second or even your third language. All sorts of diversity in here. What does God want from Marathon? Unity. N- not the denial of diversity, exalted diversity. It's tremendous that there are so many different types of people in here. But unity around ultimately the promise that God was making to Abraham, the Savior. And so God is the author of a diverse world called to unify around the one in whose image they bear. And so as we work our way across the Old Testament to start to see some of the stories and so on, we're going to see uh, always these challenges between unity and diversity. We're going to see image bearers wanting to do their own thing. And yet God is interested that all image bearers know whose image they bear. That's why you support your missionaries. You're concerned about image bearers way over there who don't know. That's why we want to bear witness to the truth of Christ in our own families. You may have folks who don't know Christ in your family or your extended family. I have them in my family. And we're called to bear witness. Why? Because we bear God's image and he wants all people to know the one 
in whose image they're made, and ultimately, in light of Genesis 3, know the one who can offer salvation. And so that's how the story begins, and we begin to see purpose. We begin to see direction as to what God wants. God wants his name to be made great among the nations. That includes the street where you live and the street where I live. Let's pray. Father, it is such a privilege to know that we are part of your plan, that in your mercy you made us in your image, and even though with our sinfulness we don't bear your image well, you have, by your grace, given us um, our Savior in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would be uh, reminded of the importance of how we live. We live because we bear your image, and so we choose to live well. May your Holy Spirit uh, fill our lives this week as we bear witness to the truth, as we talk to other people, as we interact as couples and families, uh, parents and grandparents, whatever roles we are called to play. May we recognize we play those roles in light of being made in your image. And Father, our heart breaks for so many around the world who do not know you. They're made in your image, and yet they do not know their own creator. And so, Father, we want to be part of your plan and your purpose of reaching the nations, even as you handpicked Abraham and Sarah to ultimately provide an offspring, which one day would be Jesus. We want to be part of the continued proclamation of the truth of Jesus to the nations. And so we pray that even as Marathon Fellowship, that we would be faithful to serve, that we would be faithful to give, that we would be faithful to proclaim your name, to live out our lives as image bearers on the, in the world that you have created. We pray this in Christ's precious name and ask your blessing on each one here this, e- this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.